Good morning. He is risen. It's great to see you this morning. We're glad that you're here. If you are visiting this morning, welcome. You're our guest. And so please let us know if you have any questions that are here. And we're looking forward to celebrating Christ this morning, his death, his burial, his resurrection. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 16 this morning, Mark chapter 16. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come this morning in a heart of celebration, in a heart of gratitude. Thank you so much for loving us enough to send your son, your only begotten son, to die for our sins, to be buried, to rise again. And we welcome your presence here with us. We welcome the Holy Spirit here with us. We pray that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, And that you would move in those broken areas of our lives, those places of death, those tombs, and that you would bring us out of the tomb into that resurrection life. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I was recently reading through the Gospel of Mark, and I came to Mark 16 to the resurrection, and it really hit me that Christ went to the tomb to take me out of the tomb. And as a believer, there's times in my life that I'm still encompassed in a tomb, still living in a place of defeat, living in a place of despair, and my resurrected Savior wants to come to that tomb to bring me out of the tomb. So Christ went to the tomb to take us out of the tomb. This is the question that is before us this morning that I want you to contemplate is, how is the resurrection of Christ going to impact us tomorrow morning? When it's Monday, and we're in Easter comatose, right? Because the resurrection of Christ, though we celebrate on this particular Sunday, it's something that Jesus desires that would impact our lives every day. How is the resurrection of Christ going to impact us a week from now? Maybe the middle of the summer. To really contemplate as we read through this together, how does this impact my life? What's the reality of the risen Savior in my life? So we're going to read through Mark 16 together. This morning's going to be a little bit different than if you come on a normal basis. We're going to read and just enjoy this narrative together. Then we'll launch into three other sections of scripture. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 15, Romans chapter 6, and 1 Peter 3. So this is verse 1 of Mark 16. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices, that they may come and anoint him very early in the morning, on the first day of the week. That's Sunday morning. They came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. For it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Verse 8. 
So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. They didn't believe her testimony. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. The testimony that Christ is risen, the testimony that Christ is out of the grave. Mary Magdalene being the first one to witness the resurrected Christ. Then Peter. Then all of the disciples, the 11 disciples. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 of the burial and the resurrection of Christ. I'll read it to you. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you that the gospel which I preach to you. Have you ever wondered what's the gospel? Here it is. Which you received in which you stand, by which you are saved if you hold fast that word that I've preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, and here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why was he buried? Why did he rise again for our sins? And that's the first point this morning, that Christ is to take us out of the tomb of sin. Sin brings death. Sin brings isolation. Ultimately, sin will cause us to be separated from God for all of eternity, eternal death if we don't receive Christ as our Savior. So Christ enters the tomb to take us out of the tomb of sin. It's through the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice upon the cross that pays the price for our sins. In Ephesians 1 verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. The blood of Jesus Christ is enough to forgive us of our sins. His resurrection is powerful enough to bring us redemption and to bring us new life. As I've been thinking about this weekend, this quote has been on my heart from C.S. Lewis. It says, it costs God nothing so far as we know to create nice things, but to convert rebellious wills cost him crucifixion. When God created the world, recorded for us in Genesis chapter one, he spoke and it came into existence. Powerful and majestic, but it doesn't seem difficult for God. Would you agree? That's the idea of the creation account. It it wasn't hard for God. There isn't personal sacrifice in the creation account, but to convert rebellious wills, it took the sacrifice of his son. In order for us to be forgiven of our sins 
and to have freedom from sin, to overcome sin in our lives, it took the death of Christ. Uh, Last Easter was a special Easter for me for two reasons. The first is I got to do what I'm doing today, get to tell people about Jesus. Nothing's better than that. And the second is I got to drive my old pickup truck that I bought for the first time. So I bought a 1978 Chevy K10 for $500. Can I get an amen? Anybody out there? Any Chevy fans out there, right? So the backstory on that is Tim Bollygott, our junior high pastor, he had a friend that had this pickup that was just abandoned in the yard, hadn't run for years, and he says, Eric, I've got a good feeling about this truck. I think we can get it for $500. I think it's, it's going to pay off. And I was up for the adventure, and more importantly, my wife was graciously up for the adventure. And so Tim had been working on this truck behind my back, unbeknownst to me, had switched out the gas, put, taken out the old gas, put a new gas, put in a battery, and got it, got it running. We weren't even sure if it was going to run. So last Easter, he says, Eric, I got a surprise for you. Why don't you come over to the house? And sure enough, I drove the truck for the first time. Now, this was a resurrection in and of itself, right? <laughs> you can literally call this truck Lazarus if you would, would like to. I mean, it's rusted out and need, needs tons of work, but I was so excited to drive it. Uh, my family, we have nicknamed the truck Hooch from the movie Turner, Turner and Hooch, back with Tom Hanks. And it's just a dog of a truck, right? <laughs> Does this. But it's brought me so much joy uh, this year and has brought me into such great friendship and relationship with, with other men just to be in this process of restoration on this truck. And it would have been a lot easier to get a newer truck, right? And things would work better on it. But to see something that was abandoned, to see something that was a mess, to see something that was literally rusting away and be able to get your hands on it, replace parts and do work on the engine and and see it now on, on the road. And I would suggest to you that the work of restoration is greater than the work of perfection, And this truck has taught me this year how much that God loves us, how much he looks at our lives that are in a mess, that are in a junkyard, if you would, abandoned in the yard, and he says, look, I see value in you. I see value in your life. I want your life to be restored from the damage of sin, and in order for that to take place, in order for us to be taken out of the tomb of sin, Jesus gave his son. That was the price of restoration for us. And in two aspects, the death and burial of Christ sets us free from sin. First, from the penalty of sin. If you know Christ as your Savior, I hope that you know that you're forgiven and you're rejoicing in the fact that the blood of Jesus is enough to forgive you of your sins. When Jesus died upon the cross, what did he say? It is finished. He made the payment for sin, so why are we still trying to make the payment? He's already paid for it. He paid the price that would result in our forgiveness through faith, but we can go through our Christian life trying to earn forgiveness, trying to deserve forgiveness. Am I forgiven now? Failing to receive and live in the forgiveness of God. If you're thinking about this morning receiving Christ as your Savior, the joy of trusting Christ for salvation is knowing that your sins are forgiven. 
having the weight of sin lifted off of your shoulder and living in that place of freedom. But the second way that we're taken out of the tomb of sin is that God also breaks the power of sin in our lives. Before a person knows Christ as their Savior, we don't have the ability to stop sinning. We're going to be a slave to sin. But because of the resurrection power of Christ in our lives, we can overcome sin. For some, this morning, you're in a place of wondering if God can forgive you to become the child of God. For others of us, we are the children of God, and we're wondering, can I ever get over my anger? Can I ever get over my lust? Can I ever get over my bitterness? I feel so enslaved to this sin, even as a believer, and that's where Romans 6 comes in, where the power of sin is broken at the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So I read to you from Romans 6, verse 1. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. If you've received Christ or you choose to receive Christ, the reality is in that moment of faith, all of your sin is buried with Christ, past, present, and future. And we're raised in newness of life. Just as Christ is risen from the dead, we're risen from the dead. When someone gets baptized here at our church, they're making a public declaration of what's already taken place inwardly. It's an illustration. My old life is buried with Christ and I'm risen in newness of life. My sinful nature has been crucified with Christ, nailed to Christ, So I no longer have to be a slave to that anger. I no longer have to be a slave to that covetousness. And then we go on in Romans 6 and verse 11, and it makes it more practical. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And do not present... your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instrument of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. How does the resurrection of Christ affect us Monday morning after the holiday is passed? Is that we can reckon these realities to be true in our lives. Now, what is this word reckon? It's more than just a term in Texas, okay? Actually, the biblical understanding of the word reckon is a mathematical term where you're looking at the facts. You're doing the math, and you're saying, I know that this is the reality. So we look at the facts, even when we don't feel it, and we go, I know that I'm dead to sin, and I'm alive to Christ. And I'm going to then apply that truth to my life. I'm going to present myself as a member to righteousness. I realize that I have the opportunity 
in Christ to now live a different life. Now, now let's get right down to the brass tacks. Let's get down to how does this work out in our lives as we're struggling with sin, and oftentimes it's a tomb. It's this hidden tomb that sometimes people don't know about, and we try to hide this sin from others. We're isolated. Is This is not us trying to save ourselves from the power of sin. This is allowing a resurrected Savior in. This is saying, Jesus, I am really struggling right now. I'm really being tempted in this way. I can't overcome this on my own, but I know that you're present with me. And would you strengthen me? And would you help me? And then the promise there is that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. It comes through fellowship with him. It comes through abiding in him and walking with him and obeying him. The Apostle Paul experienced these truths, these realities in his life. His name was Saul. He was radically opposed to Christ and wanting to destroy all those who followed Jesus. And he's on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians. And Jesus calls him by name. The resurrected Savior speaks and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? God was wanting to rescue Paul from his sin, to bring him out of the tomb of sin. And in that moment, Saul's life has changed to Paul. And he asks this question, what do you want me to do, Lord? He never stopped asking that question, that question of surrender to the Lord. And Paul knew the power of God in his life to not only forgive his sins, but also bring him to a place of freedom from sin. For some of us as believers, we are struggling this resurrection morning to believe that God is bigger than our sin. That he really does forgive us and he really does provide freedom. And we say, you know what, Eric, I know that sounds good, but the reality of it is I've been down this track before and I'm going to continue to live in my anger. I'm going to continue to live in my lust. I'm going to continue to live in my addiction. I don't really believe that God can change my life. What was the biggest issue when we just read through Mark 16 together? Unbelief. Unbelief. The disciples were hearing that Christ was alive, but they weren't believing it. Well, good news for us this morning. The resurrected Savior is bigger than our sin, amen? And through fellowship with him, him shedding the light into the darkness, he can rescue us out of these areas of sin. So he brings us out of the tomb of sin, but also the tomb of death. Back to 1 Corinthians 15 at the end of the chapter, in verse 51 Paul addresses how the resurrection impacts us when it comes to death. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible and shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Jesus went to the tomb to take us out of the tomb of death. Just a little over a week ago, on a Sunday afternoon, and I get a call from a good friend of mine, and he lets me know that his wife had had a serious stroke. I asked if I could come down to the hospital. Actually, he said, hey, you don't need to come down to the hospital. He says, I know that you've got a lot going on. And I said, I'll, I'll be there. And I get down to the hospital, and the stroke had taken place in her brainstem. And the doctor had let my friend know that it didn't look good, that it was very unlikely that she was going to survive. She's in great health, very strict on her diet, strict on her exercise. This didn't fit any of the rules. There weren't any signs that she had failing health. She was doing yard work. It's one of the first really beautiful days that we had. They were doing yard work together and had, had this stroke. And then Tuesday afternoon, the following Tuesday, she went home to be with the Lord. And we're going to have her funeral here at the church, her memorial service here at the church on Tuesday. And I got to tell you that death is not the last word for her. That though it's goodbye, it is see you soon. And the promise of the resurrection of Christ is that he kicked death in the face. And death doesn't win. And death is not a respecter of persons. It doesn't respect age. Death is never satisfied. The grave is always looking for more. All of us have an expiration date. We just don't know what it is, right? But yet Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he promises everlasting life. When a believer passes away, their spirit goes home to be with the Lord. But then when this last trumpet is blown, the dead in Christ rise first. They receive a glorified body. God in his power is able to take bodies that have decomposed in the grave, raise them up into everlasting life to where death wears your sting. And maybe this morning you're in a place where you fear death. Death is almost like a, a tomb to you. And you're like, man, why did he ruin my Easter? He just brought the reality of death back to me. Now I'm going to it's Sunday. Is it my time? It's Sunday afternoon. I better not go work out in the yard. No, that's not the message. What's the message? Is to understand that the grave does not have the final word. I know that some of you, as you celebrate this holiday, someone's missing at your table. Someone that's been there for years. Someone that you love. You've gone through your own memorial and funeral service they're in Christ, they're more alive than they've ever been before. And so we get to rejoice. We get to hold on to this truth that we're going to forever be with the Lord as believers. What do you think your glorified body's going to be like? I'm hoping that I'm buff, you know? <laughs> Tired of being the skinny kid that's got to run around to get wet in the shower, okay? It's, but a glorified body that never knows sin, to never commit sin, to never know sickness, to never know disease, to never have to go to a, a doctor's appointment and to behold the Lord. We're, we're out of the tomb of death. And the last point this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're out of the tomb of despair. 
out of the tomb of despair. And this is Peter, one of the disciples that writes these words for us in an epistle and in a letter. 1 Peter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through the faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. Peter writes and he says, a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the resurrection of Christ. Because Christ is alive, our hope is alive. Now, what is the definition of hope? Let me tell you what biblical hope is not. I hope that the Broncos have a better season this year. That's not biblical hope. Why? Because it's a wish, it's a whim, it's a maybe it'll happen. It probably won't happen until we get a quarterback, right? Biblical hope is this, a confident expectation of coming good. We don't look at the promises of God and go, I hope that the promises of God are true. I wish that they will be true. We have this confidence that God is good and that he does good. What is the overall tone of our country right now? It's one of fear and frustration and maybe even hate. We're divided and we're afraid. It's not one of hope. If you were going to talk to most people in our country right now, they would say, I don't have a lot of hope for, for the future. And has that crept into the body of Christ? Has it crept into our hearts and minds and our soul? What's the overall tone of a believer's throughout the country? Is it one of hope? Or is it one of fear? And is it one of despair? And this hope that we have, because Christ is risen, guess what? It's not based on our circumstances. It's not based on our comfort. It's based on the fact that Christ is risen from the dead, and he has given to us eternal life. If you remember the disciples, after Christ was crucified— before he had appeared to all of them, what did they do? They locked themselves in a room out of fear, in despair. The resurrected Savior, he pops into this room in his glorified body, and he doesn't have to go through the door. Just, boo, he's there. He teleports. And what does he say to the disciples? Peace be to you. Peace be to you. Guys, you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in despair. You can live in a place of hope, of living hope, because I am alive. What is this living hope based on from what Peter's telling us from the truth of God's word? It says, to an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled that doesn't fade away. All earthly inheritances can be incorrupted or can be corrupted. How many of them have been corrupted? How many of them have faded away? But you have a reservation that's reserved for you in heaven if you're in Christ. You know what it's like to have a reservation. Maybe it's a nice dinner, you make a reservation. Too bad they don't take reservations at Chick-fil-A. That'd be nice, huh? I'm gonna save you some frustration. They're not open Sundays. 
So just, just so you don't try to go there Easter morning. Maybe you make a reservation at Great Wolf Lodge. You put it there, taking the family up to Great Wolf Lodge. You have a reservation in heaven. That's where our hope lies. Don't let your hearts be troubled because he goes to prepare a place for you. This promise here is also that we're kept by the power of God. Not only do we have an inheritance, but God's gonna keep us. He's gonna preserve us so that we make it to the reservation. He's gonna complete that good work that he started in you. Why are you living in despair? Why are you living in a place of despair? Why are you locked in a room as a believer saying there's no hope? There's no hope for this relationship. There's no hope for the finances. There's no hope for my health. I'm gonna go ahead and cash it in. Despair is something that's silent. Despair is something where we come in on an Easter morning and people ask us how we're doing and we're like, great brother, praise the Lord. Everything's good, but inside we're tormented because we're in a place of fear. Why do we have to be in a place of fear? What does the resurrection of Christ mean? It means that he would come to that place of fear. He would come to that place of despair and say, look, I'm with you. Look, my promises are real in your life. I'm gonna be faithful to you. The outcome, we don't know. But we do know the one who is with us. And we do know the one who's promised the ultimate destination. So what have we seen this morning? We've seen that Christ takes us out of the tomb of sin. He takes us out of the tomb of death. He takes us out of the tomb of despair. But here's the question. Christ is out of the tomb, but are you? Are you out of the tomb? Are we living in the tomb? First, as those that know Christ as their Savior, of saying, I know Christ is my Savior, but here I am in the tomb of sin. I'm really not living in the reality that Christ has forgiven my sins. If you know that Christ has forgiven you of your sins, why are you not rejoicing? Why are you beating yourself up when Christ has already taken the punishment for you? Why are we living in a place of going, oh, I'm just destined to be a jerk the rest of my life. There's no hope for me. I mean, I've been a jerk. I'm always gonna be a jerk. My dad was a jerk. My grandpa was a jerk. I guess I'm just gonna keep being a jerk, right? Why are we living like that, right? Jesus wants to come and take us out of the tomb of sin and say, hey, guess what? I died for you. Your old man's buried and you're risen in newness of life. Now now walk with me. I'm gonna take you in a new direction. Not that there's ever gonna be perfection, but there can be victory in our lives. Christ is out of the tomb, but am I? Are you, are we out of the tomb? Maybe we're in this place where we're fearing death, to be able to say, why am I fearing death? Where we're wrestling with despair, to say, Christ, I'm gonna let you into that place of despair and give me living hope. I wanna give a couple of ways to respond to the message this morning, and the first is for salvation, to receive Christ as your Savior. Why did Jesus come? Why did he die? Because of our sin. What is sin? Sin is those things that we do that offend God, that are against his character, but it's also when we try and we fail and we miss the mark. Jesus tells us that even when we lose our temper with someone, we've committed murder in our hearts 
I think fairly quickly we come to realize that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again, and he gives an invitation. The words of Christ, the Bible says, Jesus declares, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If someone invites you over for lunch or out to coffee, and you never say yes, but you also never say no, and you make a non-decision, say, well, maybe, we'll see, well, maybe, we'll see, eventually, what is that? That's a no decision. A non-decision is a no decision. And maybe this morning you're in a place where you're saying, well, I don't know that I'm against Christ, but I don't know that I'm for him. I don't know that I don't not believe in him, but I don't know that I do believe in him. I've heard this invitation of belief and trusting him for salvation, but I'm not really sure if it is for me. Eventually that non-decision could become a no decision. What is your decision about Christ? He can handle if you say no. It breaks his heart because he knows the consequences. But he would love for you to say yes. He would love for you to repent from your sin, which means to turn from sin, to realize your need for salvation, and turn to Christ and say, Jesus, I believe you died for me and you rose again. I want you to be the Lord of my life and to receive that free gift of salvation. God will save you. And he'll begin to transform you from the inside out. In a moment, we're going to pray. I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand to the Lord. You're not joining a church. A church can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. You're going to cry out to him and say, Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose again. I want to be in relationship with you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. But I also want to encourage us and challenge us as believers. Guys, it's not time to be complacent. God wants more than a holiday. He wants more than Sunday mornings in our lives. He wants all of us. One of the messages that God gives to his people over and over again in his word is, wake up, wake up, wake up. And we can actually be in a spiritual condition where we're saved and we're the child of God, but we're asleep spiritually. And that's exactly where the enemy would want us to be because we're not engaged in Christ. We're not engaged in his mission. Do you know every time the resurrection is mentioned in the gospel, it's mentioned with purpose. Go and tell. If you know that Christ has risen, go and tell. As we head into our Easter gatherings and we're with family and friends, go and tell. You know what's going to make Monday morning exciting with the resurrected Savior? Is to say, Jesus, I know that you pursued the lost. You died for me, a lost sinner, and you love sinners. I'm ready to proclaim your name. I'm ready to go on mission. I'm ready to surrender you. When was the last time that you were really engaged with Christ? It doesn't matter how many times you've read the Bible. It doesn't matter how long you've gone to church. It doesn't matter how much money you give. When was the last time you were fired up about Jesus? Where you're like, Jesus has saved me. And I'm ready to follow him. I'm ready to serve him. I'm ready to go. And what are we waiting for? And God loves to stir up our hearts. 
And this morning, if you say, I know that I'm the child of God, but I need the resurrected Savior to take me out of this tomb that I'm in. I need him to refresh me. I need him to jolt me once again and put his love inside of me. The power of the Holy Spirit is real. And the book of Acts is believers that are filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's us going, Lord, would you fill me afresh with your spirit? So I want to give you an opportunity to respond as well in just a moment. If you say, that's me. I'm a believer, but I've drifted and I need God to do a resurrecting work in my heart and my life. So let's pray together. Father, you tell us in your word that you've searched us and that you know us. You know everything about us. You created us. Lord, right now, and I just pray in the name of Jesus for those that need to trust you for salvation, to repent of sin, to believe that you died, were buried, and rose again for their sin, to invite you to be the Lord of their life, that you would speak to them, that you would call them by name and communicate your love to them. I want to be clear. This is for those that are receiving salvation. You have not yet trusted Christ as your Savior. And in this moment, it makes sense to you. And you realize, I haven't made a commitment. I need to accept and commit my life to Christ. Would you go ahead and raise your hand and just leave it up high? Make eye contact with me. And I'm going to say a prayer with you. Praise the Lord. I see your hand in the back, your hand there. Praise God, your hand there. Yours in the back as well. Praise the Lord. Praise God. If you're listening on the live stream, just raise your hand to the Lord if you want to respond to the gospel for those of you that are upstairs. With hands raised and your heart, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died for my sins and rose again. I repent of my sin and invite you to be the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me and thank you for forgiving me. You can put your hands down. Father, we thank you for those that have just responded to the gospel. Would you confirm your work of salvation and forgiveness in their life and protect them and grow them? And now to those of you that you're the child of God, but you say, you know, I've drifted. It's been a long time since I've engaged in my relationship with Christ. I've allowed other things to become more important. And if you are asking of the Lord to refresh you, renew you, do that resurrection work in your life and to put him in his proper place, to come back to him, would you raise your hand and just leave it up and I'd like to say a prayer for you. Praise the Lord. Hands coming up all over the sanctuary. Don't miss out. Don't rely upon your reputation. Don't go, man, people are watching and just respond to Christ. Father, I thank you for all of those that are responding. And I think in some way, all of us are responding this morning of saying, Jesus, would you do a fresh work in our lives? And God, I pray for specifically for those that had the humility and the boldness to raise their hands this morning. Lord, you know where they've drifted. You know where they've gotten off track. And would you renew their first love? Would you restore unto them the joy of their salvation? May the depths of the cross 
and the resurrection and the power of your forgiveness bring breakthrough in their lives? And would you confirm your love to them, that you love them and you're so excited to restore them? So we thank you and we praise you. You can put your hands down as well. And as a church family, Jesus, we thank you and we say amen.